Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, now we know uh, Donald Trump's idea of fun. It's to uh, beat up on a CNN reporter. <laughs> what do you say? Hey, hello, everybody. On a Monday, Monday, July 3rd. Yeah, here we are in between the long 4th of July weekend and the 4th of July. We got this day to celebrate together. To talk together, to cover the day, news of the day together, and it's good to be back with all of you uh, after a little break last week. Um, actually, um, want to say a big thank you to uh, Peter Ogburn and to Igor Volsky and to Sabrina Siddiqui. Right, it takes, it takes a village uh, for keeping the uh, good ship uh, Bill Press afloat here last week. Uh, 
Good to see you all. Hope you are having a great break as part of the celebration of the 4th of July. We welcome you to the program. Uh, and the next two hours, we'll bring you up to date on all the latest news of the day. Republicans, as you know, you covered this last week, came up short. Mitch McConnell's big plan went belly up, and he had to say, oops, we don't have the votes. We're not going to vote this week on that uh, health care bill. We're going to do it after we come back from the 4th of July recess. And now, believe it or not, they are talking about something they said they would never, never, never do, which is just repeal Obamacare and leave everybody high and dry with no replacement plan. That is what they are talking about, which would be a monumental disaster. Yes, Donald Trump, how low can he go? We haven't seen the end of it yet, obviously, after last week's tweets about Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough, particularly about Mika, and the video released over the weekend. We'll talk about uh, beating up a TV reporter and... Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump set to meet this week. Will Donald Trump say anything about how dare you try to hack our elections? Lots to talk about. We'll get right to it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news just in time for the 4th of July. Old, old rocker Neil Young has released a new album. Now, it's interesting because he timed it for the 4th of July and it is a resistance album, as he points out. Somebody needed to sort of capture the voice of the uh, resistance, and he thinks he's the guy to do it. He released a new song called Children of Destiny. He teamed up with the band Promise of the Real, which is a rock band featuring Willie Nelson's two sons in the band, and a 62-piece orchestra. Whoa. Should be noted that uh, yeah. Neil Young is Canadian. <laughs> So for the Fourth of July, I don't see him as the voice of the resistance either. Somehow, no, not really. Maybe a different resistance a long time ago, but uh, I don't think any, I'm gonna listen to that. Not anymore. Uh, Tesla. Everybody's been waiting for when Tesla is going to unveil their Model Three car. Well, Elon Musk made the announcement just a little while ago, actually, on Twitter this morning. He said that the Tesla is going to go on sale Friday. This Friday. You mean this new three? or The new Model 3. Yeah, yeah the car yeah, is going to start yeah. around $35,000, and then you get a $7,500 federal electric car tax credit. So at the end of the day, it could cost $27,500, which is not bad considering you've got an electric car at the end of the uh, uh, transaction. The five-seat car will be able to go 215 miles on a single charge and will accelerate going 0 to 60 in under six seconds. You know, I would buy one of them in a flash. Yeah. First, I think the Tesla is the most, one of, certainly, the most beautiful cars on the road today. Sure. They're really cool cars. And they have those doors that lift up like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sure. I love. They're really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, we don't have a, we park on the street. I live in the city. No place I can charge it. You're finding more and more charging stations, but they're not, no, they're not no, everywhere no, yeah. like they need to be. Yeah, right. So, but if I had a garage... Yeah. Or if I had a carport. Yeah. I live in this. You bet. I'd Just imagine one. where we'd be today if we had stuck with the electric car trend that we started in the 80s. You know? I mean, we'd no, have I know. ports everywhere. And this one is a beautiful machine. It really is. So. Good for Tesla.
your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, what do you know? It's Monday, Monday, July 3rd. How about it? Great to see you today, uh, and uh, we uh, thank you for welcoming us as part of your extended 4th of July weekend. Uh, not everybody's lucky enough to have the whole week off or even the long weekend off, but uh, if you do, good for you, and uh, if you don't, or if you do, either way, thank you for joining us here on this Monday, July 3rd. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, sorry, I was welcome uh, back. Well, thank you. I was out for a few days. I had a little. Uh, I had a little facelift. Actually, uh, I'm still bleeding. I can see you, you're bleeding you everywhere. Can still see I'm bleeding everywhere. But uh, you know, but God, I uh, doesn't stop me, man. I come to work. Good for you. Bleeding from all orifices, <laughs> as Donald Trump would say. What a disgusting human being. I got to tell you. Uh, and that's where we start. I guess you got to start. I mean, the latest. Actually, we don't start with the with the uh, bleeding video because that has now been surpassed by yet another tweet. Uh, by those tweets, rather, that's been surpassed by another tweet, which is in the form of a video that Donald Trump retweeted. Of course, you've heard about it. This is a replay of an old um, WWE video. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, right? where Donald Trump uh, on The Apprentice uh, does this fake uh, wrestling bout or uh, This was battle. actually part of, I, I don't watch wrestling, so Jamie, you'll have to WWE help me out here. WWE SmackDown, right? But I think this was on, like, at WrestleMania or yeah, SmackDown yeah, or something? Right, right. Yeah, SmackDown. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So he, like, he actually showed up on a WWE event and Oh, and, no, like, no, several, but, wait, wait, several times. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this one time he's walking alongside the ring. He's in this spat. Phony spat that they just put up with Vincent, Vincent McMahon, I guess, who's the head of WWE, or, or the or his wife was. I don't know. What a bunch of sleeve balls. At any rate. <laughs> uh, of course, Donald Trump was one of them. Uh, he's walking alongside the ring. He knocks a guy down and then pummels him on the ground. Well, they, uh, you know, on Reddit, they put it up uh, a couple of weeks ago. Somebody did actually, uh, and put a, the logo of CNN on the face of the guy. So it's uh, now a CNN reporter. The same thing, Donald Trump walks up to him, cold cocks him, and then gets down on the ground and starts pummeling him. And this is, this is Donald's, uh, Donald Trump's idea of um, how to be funny, of just taking his war against the media to another level and to that question about how low can he go before the world just turns against him, before those cowardly Republicans in the Senate turn against him. I think the answer is there is nothing he could do that would, number one, alienate his supporters, two, alienate those Republicans, wake up the Republicans, cowardly Republicans in Congress, or three, um, knock some sense into the White House staff who still blindly support him. I mean, he could, as he himself said pretty clearly, go out on Fifth Avenue in New York and shoot somebody and his supporters would still love him and Sarah Huckabee Sanders would still kiss his ass as she does every day. It is so disgusting. You look at that video, it's not funny at all. It's disgusting. It's juvenile. It's dangerous because it does incite people to violence, just like he did during the campaign. Oh, this is the uh, this this is the real prize. Last Thursday, now this is after the Mika tweets. 
uh, about the facelift and the bleeding. But before even the violence CNN video comes out, Sarah Huckabee Sanders at the briefing, a, a rare briefing on camera last week, uh, says, oh, no, Donald Trump is such a peaceful, loving man. The president in no way, uh, form or fashion has ever uh, promoted or encouraged violence, if anything, quite the contrary. And he was simply uh, pushing back and defending himself. Wait, well, how dumb does she think we are, right? Clearly they think we were pretty stupid. We remember Donald Trump out in Salt Lake City who said uh, at a rally when he was a candidate, you know, and he did this several times, but that one time in Salt Lake City where he said, you know, I wish I could punch him out. I'd like to punch him out. He also said, if you see anybody in, the, in, a rally, in, a, in this rally who's not behaving as you don't think they are, you know, just knock him out. Just punch him, punch him out. He pined he, for the old days of when yeah, people who interrupted would get carried out on a stretcher. That's right. a quote. I remember the old days, right. That was good, right? Now the cops aren't tough enough. They don't beat the crap out of them. No, all he, he was never, never once condemned any violence at his rally. And then he comes out with this, with this video. Totally inappropriate. And you know what I think all Americans ought to recognize is it just demeans the office of the president of the United States. I mean, to have a president using that kind of language and showing that kind of behavior, it's just, I mean, is this really, what do people around the world think? I know what the people around the world think. They were putzes for electing this guy, and that were even bigger putzes for leaving him in office and not doing anything about it. And, you know, again, the fact that the White House staff would defend him, I, I, I don't get it. At some point, you have to stand for something. At some point, you have to have principles. At some point, you have to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to debase myself to suggest that what this guy who happens to be my boss is doing is right. It's wrong. I cannot tolerate it. I'm out of here. Anybody with any self-respect would have quit the, the Trump White House. So here's, here's uh, like... Just to look at this uncritically, right? Because there are some people out there who are just saying, oh, this is just the president blowing off steam. He's having fun. This is the president who likes to think that he's uh, a funny guy, right? Because Trump does think that he's a funny guy. And sort of just poking fun at the media, right? And then there are other people who say, well, this is like a call to violence, and some people could see this as 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 a uh, uh, as a call to violence. And if I'm a Trump supporter, right, I could see what Trump is trying to say, right? Just being uncritical. But here's here's to me the bigger issue is that this is what he's thinking about, right? Barack Obama, oh yeah, took a lot yeah. of flack from a lot of people. George W. <laughs> right. Bush took a lot of flack from a lot of people. Presidents will always take a lot of flack from a lot of people. And the difference is. You sort of have to rise above that because you've got bigger fish to fry. You, the last thing you could be concerned about are petty, petty fights no. with what you perceive to be a media that attacks you. No, but you don't understand. Donald Trump is a petty person, and Donald Trump has zero capacity for content, for substance, or zero interest, and that's in the actual problem. Or in con yes, I is, think it is that combined with the fact that he is a mean, low life, unhinged, unbalanced individual. I yeah, love I the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. 
Yeah. But uh, so, uh, we come back to this. So the White House staff, for sure. I mean, there's some of them are quoted this morning as saying, oh, we thought this was real. When we saw it, we thought this was really funny. Ha <laughs> ha. What a great <laughs> sense of humor Donald Trump has. And then there are the Republicans in Congress. What a cowardly. I mean, look, how can they believe this is good for the country? How can they believe this is good for their party? How could they believe this is good for their agenda? I mean, it's time for them to stand up and say, no, no, no. And a couple of them did, you know, but those are rare, rare voices. Uh, we had a, a couple of them yesterday. Um, well, um, Ben Sass. No, no, I'm sorry. But Ben Sass did come out and say that. There's an important distinction to draw between bad stories or crappy coverage and the right that citizens have to argue about that and complain about that and trying to weaponize distrust. Uh, the First Amendment is the beating heart of the American experiment, and you don't get to separate the freedoms that are in there. Yeah, right. And somebody ought to tell, somebody ought to tell, tell, tell Donald Trump that. And then he has this guy, I never saw him before, so he trots out a Homeland Security advisor, Thomas Bossert, right, on uh, ABC's This Week yesterday. He sees the video for the first time, Martha Raddatz filling in for George Stephanopoulos plays the video, and, uh, oh, I'm so proud of my boss. I'm pretty proud of the president for developing a Twitter and a uh, social media platform where he can talk directly to the American people. Oh, yeah. He's got this tweet or so, this tweet, as Donald Trump says, this is what a modern-day president looks like, right? A pig. <laughs> Disgusting, sexist pig. This is what a modern-day president looks like. Uh, of course he's got a right to do it. That's not the question. People are saying that we're trying to shut down his First Amendment rights. No, the media is not doing that. Democrats are not doing that. We're just saying there's a certain dignity and decorum that goes, by the way, with any of us, but for sure with the president of the United States, as Peter said, you ought to be above that. You know the best way to respond to criticism from the media? Ignore it. If we or are, respond in content. If we are in such say, a bad shape, as he likes to say constantly, that we are, you know, a broken country with all kinds of problems and crime and violence and economy problems, which are all BS. But if if that is your argument, go work on that. Yeah, right. Go fix that. And then Tom Price, a member of his cabinet. I mean, again, who are these people? They have no self-respect at all. So good for Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd will meet the press. Of course, how can you not ask him about this when this is the Remember, Sean Spicer told us presidential tweets are president, official presidential statements. Right? We have to consider them. And Chuck Todd asked Tom Price about it. And Tom Price said, oh, how dare you ask me about that? This is really remarkable. You've got incredible challenges across this nation, incredible challenges around the world. The challenge that I've been given is to address the health care issues. And, and, and your program, uh, a program with the incredible history of Meet the Press, and, and, and that's what you want to talk about? I, I Let don't. me just suggest uh, to you that the American people want to talk about the challenges. I'm asking Let me just you suggest why you go for it, Jeff. Go for it. Mr. Secretary, with all due respect, you're blaming me for what the president of the United States exactly. has spent his entire week focused on? Exactly. No. You're right. Do you think Trump was talking about health care? No, he's talking about attacking, he spent last week attacking Joe Scarborough and Mika, Mika Brzezinski because they dared criticize him and then 
and and then and now with this uh, with this latest thing with with CNN. But you know what, what part of this is also. I think it's important to put this in focus. Is th- this latest one is this attack on CNN? But that's just one network. That's just part of the of his entire war on the media. I mean, Donald Trump really does believe that the role of the media is to kiss his ass. Yeah, and 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 to talk about how great he is. George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, forget about it. Donald Trump is the greatest president ever, who has accomplished more in 160 days or whatever it is by now than any other president in history. I mean, he wants the media to lie and to fawn all over him. You know what? That's not the way it works. Yeah, the media has an important role in this country, right? And we're not perfect, but the media's role is to ask tough questions and to tell the truth. And sometimes, you know what? That's not going to come out right. The politician's not going to like it. Democrat or Republican. Barack Obama had his media critics. God knows, right? So did every single president, going all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. But remember what Thomas Jefferson said. Thomas Jefferson said, were it left for me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, I would not hesitate one moment to prefer the latter. That's Thomas Jefferson. And where, where's, where's Donald Trump is so far away from that, you know? And so what Donald Trump's, what he's trying to do, and he does it at every time. He comes down to this, by the way, this phony Faith Valley rally Saturday here in Washington. I, I want to know, here's what I want to know. I want to know what faith these people belong to, that they give Donald Trump a standing ovation when he does this childish thing about, they tried to stop me, but I'm president and they're not, right? Donald Trump at this rally on Saturday. Got the, right? The fake media tried to stop us from going to the White House, but I'm president and they're not. What a leader. What a great leader. How childish, right? You know what? They just sort of said, oh, get out of here, right? To show how he was just fawning all over this, these fake faith people. Again, I, I, want, I, I, just, I, I want to know what faith they, abscri- they subscribe to. They have no principles, no morality, no faith whatsoever if they're saluting and embracing. These faith leaders are embracing the serial adulterer, violent-prone, disgusting language human being who's the president of the United States, and he's their leader. Pick, yeah. Pick, pick, just look at last week. Pick anything, right? Right. And, like, you and tell like, me this is what my faith says. This is the way we should behave. He called Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. He called. Uh, he called her or called him low IQ. Called her dumb as a rock. Called him psycho. Called him psycho. Yeah. Right. Like, just the name-calling alone, regardless of who it is that he's talking about, that should be alone to get you annoyed as a Christian or as a person of faith. Yeah. When you leave the church on Sunday, God forbid that that's the message you got from your preacher, that you should go out and call anybody, right? Whatever happened to love your enemies? (laughs) He is so far from Jesus Christ, it's just 
uh, it's unfathomable. But so but he, he balanced it with this. We're going yes. to start saying Merry Christmas again. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Happy Christmas in July, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But also that line, and listen to the applause. Oh, God. You know, these are the Jesus. idiots who watched Bill O'Reilly who believe that we were not allowed to say Merry Christmas. Oh, my it's God. It's just disgusting. Jesus, where do these people come from? You know, I just, but I, I got to tell you, part of the job, again, part of the job of the media is to be critical of politicians, Republican and Democrat. It's not personal. It goes along with the job. And just the, even, even Richard Nixon, who probably among all of our presidents is the closest to Donald Trump in feeling beleaguered by the media. I mean, Nixon didn't lash out publicly and personally against people that way. This guy is really sick. And think about it again. What if Barack Obama had acted this way about Fox News or anybody critical of him or the New York Times critical of him? What if Hillary Clinton had done this, either as Secretary of State or as president or as presidential candidate. I mean, imagine the outcries, right? But with Donald Trump, again, these Republican, these these chicken s, you know what, Republicans in the United States Senate will not stand up against him because, and and I at the top of the list, it's got to be Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. They're the leaders of the party in the Congress, and their silence is deafening on this on this whole issue. Um, By the so, way, one one quick uh, yeah. tweet on this. We we, we got a couple of tweets. Please, we have time for, a, a, for yeah. a couple here. Uh, Liberal Texas Dem found us on Twitter where we're tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. The media is facing consequences of giving Trump a pass during the election. I don't disagree with that That at is all. right on. Absolutely, absolutely. If anything, th- that's the irony of his war against the media. Yeah, they if, made him. If anything... He would not be there without the media, who gave him a free pass. And I'll say this, too. He would not be without there without CNN. That's true. I, I agree with that 100%. CNN not only gave him un- unlimited coverage, they also put on their air more Trumpers than any other network. And still do, by the and way. And still do. Um Another tweet from KG says Trump's antics against CNN are dangerous because they make his followers further doubt the news media. Uh, and one other quick tweet. Amen from, to that, too. Yeah. One other quick on the religious leaders. Um, Celeste Holmes says uh, Trump exposes to the world the religious, quote, leaders who embrace him for the cons and charlatans that they are. Totally. Totally. Anybody. And I say that Jerry Falwell, Jr., you know, um, Billy Graham's son, whatever, Franklin Graham, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ralph Reed, any any of these so-called Christians who stand up and embrace Donald Trump, uh, they ought to be thrown out of the Christianity if there were such a, such a way. To, I mean, seriously, they are they are betraying their faith and they're betraying everything that Jesus Christ and the gospel stand for. And there's a there's a comparison 100%. to make. There's a comparison to make here between the religious uh, and the media in that. Stop cozying up to Donald Trump because he hates you. He doesn't like these religious, but he, he's a religious no. man. Look at how he lives his life. There's not yeah, a re, there's nothing yeah, religious no. about what he does. And look at the I mean, and, and the and the fact that they are showing up in droves. They are the most loyal base for him. And then you look at the media, 
And they continue to, CNN, Fox, MSNBC. MSNBC is putting more and more conservatives on the air. CNN pays guys like Jason Miller, yeah. Lori Lewandowski to go on and say just garbage straight from Trump's mouth. Stop it. You, you know don't what? have to do that. Yeah, because you're never going to. You're never going to. Look, CNN even, and they did, They, I think they overreacted, but they got a story wrong. They apologized. They admitted yeah. it, and they fired three right. people because for making the mistake. So, but you know what? It's not going to work. Just back. If anything, it'll just it'll simply backfire. Uh, just one final note on this whole um, tweet and and the violent video is uh, even more Democrats over the weekend signed on to the um, legislation that is uh, sponsored by Jamie Rank Raskin, Raskin. rather Raskins from uh, from Maryland um, to kick off a, a new commission to study Donald Trump, <laughs> to ascertain whether Donald Trump is in fact mentally incapacitated, therefore incapable of governing, and that would trigger the 25th Amendment, which has never been used yet. It was adopted in 1967. Um, was They were thinking about using it for Ronald Reagan. They didn't. Uh, but there are now, I think, some 25 sponsors in the House. There are 25, yes, yeah. indeed. So uh, that is uh, that's picked up uh, that's picked up uh, uh, a little steam. Those sponsors include uh, the great John Conyers from the from the state of Michigan, who was has a longtime chairman of the House Judiciary Committee when Democrats were in control. I think he's now the ranking member of uh, Judiciary. Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, Eleanor Holmes Norton here, our uh, delegate in Washington, uh, Congressman Anthony Brown from Maryland, um, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, former chair of the DNC, and I think. I want to be careful here, uh, um, but I think our friend uh, Jackie Spear from California uh, is one of the uh, sponsors, too. At any rate, there's a good collection of people there, and the numbers are growing uh, the more Donald Trump proves to the world that he is, in fact, mentally incapacitated. I think the best tweet about this is kind of started with Norm Eisen, uh, who who helped found Crew. He said uh, after Donald Trump sent out that tweet of him body slamming the CNN logo, which is a real thing that I just said. Yeah. Uh, this tweet is evidence of mental deterioration. The president needs a psych evaluation. I mean that seriously and literally. I I, I agree. I mean, I've been saying that the whole time. And, you know, there is, well. there, is, there is this thing called the Goldwater Amendment. No, yeah, right, where the American Psychiatric Association said they would, none of their members, they have this pledge now, none of their members will ever publicly comment on the mental illness or mental health of a presidential candidate or a president. They will not opine publicly. No licensed psychologist will do that. They are now considering changing that policy. It was adopted when some people said Barry Goldwater was crazy. <laughs> Barry Goldwater was is so freaking sane compared to oh Donald my God. Trump. Yeah. Think of the craziest politician you've ever seen in your lifetime, and Donald Trump beats that by Total. a mile. Total, right. So um, the American Psychiatric Association may change that policy and allow their members to say publicly what Norm Eisen, what Norm Eisen said. Um, we got to get into this a little bit. We got to mention that. I wish you had more time. <sighs> if anybody gets the Bozo Prize for the weekend, it's Chris Christie. Oh, it's Chris so Christie, who's it's in this so little good. spat with the legislature uh, over the budget. Because he's trying to get, I think it's the American, he's trying, no, one of the big healthcare companies, he's trying to get them to pump in millions of dollars for the opioid crisis in New Jersey. And he may be might, he may be wrong, but he's wrong in the way he reacted in a little petulant little move 
uh, he shut down the government over the weekend, which included shutting down all state parks. This is Fourth of July weekend and public beaches in New Jersey on the Fourth of July weekend. I think it was just this one great big public beach, not all the beaches at any rate. But who went to the beach yesterday? Chris Christie himself with his family. They are all camped out on the beach uh, uh, soaking up the sun with nobody around for miles. And it's I, insane. It is at a New Jersey newspaper, hired a plane, flew over the beach, and got a great shot of Chris Christie, fat as a beached whale, sitting there in his beach chair. And then he had the audacity. So he goes to the beach when nobody else is allowed at the beach. He was asked about it, and he said, I'm the governor. I have a house at the beach. If yeah. you want a house at the beach, you run for governor. You can have a house at the beach. You can go to the beach anytime you want. What an arrogant arrogance. I can't believe it. And then he said, but I went, yeah, I went to the beach, but I didn't get any sun. <clears throat> After the plane flies over and we see Chris Christie there in his beach chair surrounded by his family, one of his staffers had to come out again with his tail between his legs and say, oh, no, he actually didn't get any sun. Did you notice he's wearing a baseball cap? Uh- that's a real statement that his press person put out. That's remarkable. Again, what self... You know, this is why I could never be a press secretary. Yeah, right. I could never do that. No. No. There's I no would way. just say... There's right? no way. Wait, you really want me to go out and tell reporters that you were on the beach and you didn't get any sun because you were wearing a baseball cap? Mm. No, I'm not going to do that. Fire me. I'm not going to do that. I got to say, this is a great farewell tour for Chris Christie. Oh, he yes. gives I, no f's. It's, on the it's way a out. great. I no. mean, it's a great reminder that he's actually still governor. I kind of forgot about that. Mm-hmm. By the way, th- this is like so his uh, his uh, um, approval rating, which is I think is now has been like a twelve percent. It's probably down to around six now. Got to be. <laughs> this is the Trumpiest thing ever. By the way, like this is the perfect little scandal for the era of Trump. Like nobody can go to this beach. Nobody can yeah. go. It's yeah, with it's right. inside of a state park. And so Chris Christie didn't even bother trying to defend this. This is his statement, which you hinted at, but this is this is his exact statement. Quote, uh, someone said, why should you be allowed to visit when it's closed to everybody else? He says, quote, that's because the governor has a residence at Island Beach. Others don't. That's just the way it goes. Run for governor, and then you can have the residence if you don't like it. Oh, yeah. Let them eat cake. It's exactly what it is. It is. Marie Antoinette. Dope. Christie. <laughs> By the way, something else very, very important happened. Uh, a real blow for liberty as far as I'm concerned. And a real, um, uh, you know, attack. Not maybe attack, but um, uh, 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 a setback for Don- not only Donald Trump, but even for Barack Obama. Congress, one committee at least, said that AUMF, that uh, authorization for the use of military force adopted after September 11, is no longer in effect. We're going to talk about that next with Rita Simeon from the Human Rights First organization. Two Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians, 317. That's the whole ballgame. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. 
I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. If you don't clean up your room, the Board of Health is going to condemn it. The Board of Health doesn't even know about your room. What's more, they don't care. You know, if you keep making that face, it's going to freeze that way. Not unless you're someplace really, really cold. Actually, a lot of the warnings moms hand out are exaggerated. If you don't get your blood pressure checked, you could have high blood pressure, not even know it, and you could die from a stroke. But she's right about that one. Call the American Heart Association or visit our website to learn more. You put your keys between your knuckles. Someone approaches you and you cross to the other side of the street. You lock the door behind you, maybe twice. Now you feel safe. You think you've made the right choices to protect yourself. Think again. Because if you're not eating right, if you're not active, or if you smoke, you're putting yourself at risk for disease. Learn to protect yourself from yourself at everydaychoices.org. A message from the American Cancer Society, American Diabetes Association, American Heart Association, and the Ad Council. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson, and I need your help. Our marijuana laws are terribly unfair, and they make criminals out of law-abiding citizens. Nearly 2,000 Americans are arrested every day on marijuana charges, and we are unfairly destroying the lives and careers of hundreds of thousands of people simply because they smoke marijuana. These are not criminals. They are average citizens like you, good neighbors who work hard, raise families, pay taxes, and contribute to their communities. And it's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. We need your help to end marijuana prohibition once and for all. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go now, the Bill Press Show, July 3rd on a Monday. Good to be back with you, and thank you for joining us today as we come out to you live coast to coast, all part of the Young Turks Network, of course. Looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Did I get that right? You got it. All right. Also, uh, on WCPT out in Chicago and on Free Speech TV, of course, don't forget to check out our podcast, which you can find at uh, BillPressShow.com or any of the uh, to, you know, like iTunes, uh, our podcast every day. You can follow the show, even if you can't catch uh, every bit of the show in the morning. 
We're coming to you live from our nation's capital. Pretty empty this week, except for those who stayed around for the fireworks tomorrow night. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. All those good men and women of our firefighting departments, we count on them every day. They're on the front lines every day protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaatberger. We salute them and thank them for their good work. Uh, and welcome to the studio, uh, the International Legal Council for the Human Rights First Organization, Rita Simeon. Rita, it's good to see you. It's nice to see you Thank again. you for coming in. I want to move that microphone over That's just uh, a little bit there. Now, um, I, I have a little postscript from our last half hour. Let's do it. Which, which, yeah. So, Rita, forgive us. You are free or not free to enter this part of the conversation, <laughs> right? I don't want to put you on the spot, <laughs> meaning... But uh, I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> okay. But this is my footnote to all what we were saying about Donald Trump, who is showing that he is not fit to be president and demeaning the office of the presidency. And if anybody would trigger the 25th Amendment, I think it's his behavior. Uh, uh, but I have to – the footnote is I know there are a lot of people who say you can't go there because then we'll get Mike Pence. Okay. Sure. I want to officially say I've had it with that thinking. I don't want Mike Pence as president, but I would take Mike Pence over the guy that we've got because at least Mike Pence would not be demeaning, disgracing the office of the presidency. I would disagree with everything he wanted to do. Uh, I, in fact, would have to argue that he would probably be more effective in getting things done yeah. than Donald Trump. Yeah. But um, I think for the good of the country and the good of the, 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 of the office of the presidency, I'd rather see Mike Pence than Donald Trump. So. Hey, let's get them both out. Well, no. And then, and then like Maxine Waters yeah. told us in our interview, I would say, okay, let's get rid He's of Trump. Next. And then we'll go after Mike. <laughs> then we'll go after Mike Pence. Fair yeah, enough. Absolutely. But those, I know, and I've talked to a lot of my liberal friends have said, you can't go there, Bill, because we'll get stuck with Mike Pence. I think for the good of the country, we've got to say... All right, that's a price we're willing to pay. That's fair. That's my that's my little footnote there to uh, to what we were just talking about, and we will talk more about that in the days to come. <laughs> but right now, one of our best friends is Congresswoman Barbara Lee from California, whom I've known a long, long time. She and I used to get in a lot of trouble in the Democratic Party in California, and she was, uh, God bless her, the only member of Congress, Rita, right to vote against the authorization for the use of military force after September 11. Not that she's, she's a pacifist, but not that she's against all military action. She just thought it went, was too broad and went too far, correct? Yeah, I mean, that her concern is exactly what we've seen happen over the last 16 years, right? So, you know, she was afraid that the- 16 years. 16 years, yeah, right? We're in 2017, the last time yeah. I checked. Yeah. Um, and this authorization was passed right after 9-11, a week after. And- uh, Congresswoman Lee was concerned there was no, you know, it's called a sunset date that would uh, put a time limit when Congress would have to come back and revisit the authorities and decide if they were still needed. And she was afraid that it would be used for sort of unforeseen uh, wars. And here we are, you know, 16 years later fighting in over, you know, you know, so have wars going on in several different countries, military force happening but in a dozen been, countries. It's been invoked uh, far beyond um, Al uh, Afghanistan and al-Qaeda, right? Right. So the, Even the, by Barack Obama, by 
not just by George Bush. Exactly. I mean, the authorization that Congress passed, if you look at the text of it, it's only 60 words long. It says, you know, it, that it gives the president the authority to use necessary and appropriate force, essentially against those who attacked us in 9-11, those who planned right. the attacks, authorized the attacks, or harbored those who committed the attacks, um, which everyone understands this authorization to mean you can go after al-Qaeda, the ones who attacked us, or the Taliban, who was harboring al-Qaeda at the time. But this authorization has been used, including, as you mentioned, under President Obama, um, to go after a whole host of other organizations that they say are associated forces of al-Qaeda. So they've stretched it to those other groups that are sort of fighting with or affiliates um, of al-Qaeda. Including ISIS, correct? So ISIS, they they never claim that ISIS was an associated force. Uh, What they have said is that ISIS is sort of like a, an offshoot or a successor entity of al-Qaeda. So. But ISIS did not even exist at the time this was passed, correct? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So there, there's no way that, you know, that Congress and voting, you know, the few members, that, currently sitting members of Congress who did, were around to vote for this authorization, there's, there's no way that they had in, ISIS in mind because ISIS didn't even exist at the time. Right. Or the conflict uh, in Syria, for that matter. Uh, according to Think Progress, that the... Uh, AUMF has been used since uh, its initiation, uh, since it was its initial use in Afghanistan, to justify at least 37 military operations in 14 countries. Uh, so this was these were like White House lawyers who said, "No, nah, we can stretch it here. Yeah, we can stretch it and apply it over here." Uh, almost. It was it was taken, wasn't it, as sort of a blank check for any president in terms of military operations? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it depends on what you mean by blank check. I mean, that's pretty to say a blank check is that's goes pretty far. I mean, I, I don't think that the Obama administration would have said, well, yeah, we can do whatever we want, use military force wherever or against whomever we want. But they did limit it to associated forces of al Qaeda yeah. um, <laughs> or sort of ISIS as an offshoot. But you can see how but, even that limit. Um, gets you pretty far. And if you don't have geographic limits um, other than sort of sovereignty rules that prevent you from, you know, going into whatever state you want to, um, it, you end up being in a situation where Congress can't sort of say, oh, no, we didn't mean to authorize a ground war in, you know, five different countries or 10 different countries. But if it's not, if that limit isn't put into the authorization, um, then it doesn't do any good. Same thing with no time limit. If Congress says, well, I didn't mean to authorize a 16-year war, well, if you didn't put a time limit on there. Right. So this issue has come up, and I know uh, when we started against ISIS uh, that there were uh, even some Republicans who said, no, you know, we better take another look at this AUMF. And they weren't saying, again, don't do it, but don't uh, rely on this pretty thin read here as your excuse or your validation or your authorization. So what happened last week? Yeah, so I, what happened last week, I think, surprised just about everybody, including Congresswoman Lee herself, uh, <laughs> which is that um, you know, the House Appropriations Committee, you know, they're working on the budget and um, that Lee, most years, she has uh, some sort of amendment related to trying to grapple with this um, 2001 AUMF situation, where she's trying to either get it repealed or modified, and um, or at least you know get Congress to debate and vote it. And it, 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 it is worth pointing out how much ridicule she got for oh. her opposition oh. to this 16, 16 years ago. 
right? Like she was yeah. a laughing stock. No, there were people who wanted her thrown out of Congress. Yeah, people thought this was the craziest thing they had ever seen, and they made her at, or t- tried to make her look like a loon, that she was the un-American, and yeah. and now here we are, you know, sixteen yeah. years later, the tide certainly good. turned. So, so the House Appropriations Committee, and let's point out. Um, was this the full committee at any rate? So this was the full committee, actually. Right. And um, Ken Calvert, uh, whom I know as a good man, a Republican conservative from California, is the chair. So this is a Republican-controlled committee. Yeah, so it's a Republican-controlled committee. There were a number of members of Congress who got up and spoke in favor of her amendment before the vote, um, including a number of Republicans including, and two veterans who got up and spoke. And, um, you know, there's – let's be clear, there's not a lot of – you know, on the sort of far left and far right about what a new AUMF should look like and what should be yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, but what they did agree on is that it's past time to have a debate on this and that the 2001 AUMF has been just stretched too far for too long. And you're seeing a lot of this agreement on the Senate side, too. There was a hearing just a few weeks ago in the Senate uh, where you saw both sides saying the 2001 really has been stretched too far and it's time for us to really do our jobs and come together and sort of right-size our armed conflicts. This is not to say, you know, that we shouldn't be fighting ISIS necessarily, right. but right. to take stock of where we're at, what should we be doing, why, what's our strategy, and what authorities are needed. So the Senate hasn't does, hasn't done anything yet, correct? So they haven't uh, passed anything. What they right. did was that they held a hearing a few weeks ago um, to sort of to discuss it and to review, um, in particular, a bipartisan AUMF proposal by Senators uh, Kane and Flake. Uh-huh. But now... It doesn't this I, I can see why the left and the right could come together on this, because the essential issue, it seems to me here, is sovereignty, congressional sovereignty, right, or congressional power. Right, and, exactly. And, and not ceding their power to uh, to the president. Uh, maybe doesn't it get back to um, uh, like following the Constitution of the United States? Well, exactly. So under the Constitution, you know, war powers are shared between the president and the Congress, but it is Congress's job to decide when yes. to go to war. Right. Exactly. Right. When's the last time Congress did that? Well, so they passed this authorization in 2001 II, and then also in 2002 to go after the Saddam Hussein regime, which, strangely enough, we were also sort of relying on that for what we're doing in Iraq now, even though it's completely different. Right. Yeah. And before that, I think it was World War Two. Right. I mean, Korea, Harry Truman didn't go to Congress. People people disagree over whether Congress authorized the war in Vietnam, for example. So it was different. Yeah. 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 Gulf and Tonkin Tonkin resolution. People interpret that differently. I think that's pretty clear that 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 Congress did not. But at any rate that. Yeah. Gulf and Tonkin was not even at the beginning of the war in Vietnam. Anyhow, that's yeah. another debate. <laughs> a different debate. All <laughs> uh, right. So what what happens this is I mean this is huge. And you know what? This happened like under the radar, really. Yeah. And for one thing because people were at last week more interested in talking about um, Morning Joe right. <laughs> and that whole flap. Uh and was the White House caught Blindsided by, by blindsided by this? Yeah, you know, I, I think probably most everyone was yeah. really honestly. I mean, yeah. if you saw Congressman Lee's tweet, she said, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But I think if you've been following this issue closely, um, the way that we have at Human Rights First, and you see that this has sort of been brewing for a long time. You know, Senator Flake mentioned um, in the Senate hearing a few weeks ago that you know it's roughly three quarters of members of Congress that are sitting in Congress now. 
um, were not around to vote for the mm. 2001 AMF. Yeah. So you've got a yeah. lot of new members That's who said, I, I did not authorize what we're right. doing now. And it doesn't mean that they don't agree with what we're doing now, but they got want it. to put yeah. their own stamp on it. Well, good for them. You know, it's about time that they stood up and said, hey, wait a minute. You know, this is the Constitution gives us this power, and we're, we're just not going to cede it automatically to the president uh, under any loosely worded 60, 60, loosely worded 60 word statement. Well, you know, you would hope, but I think that there are some members who think, you know, would think that they're doing their job just by passing something that is sort of an open ended delegation of authority over to the president. And I think that's sort of one of the keys here yeah. is making sure that, you know, if Congress really wants to be doing, you know, controlling its part of what it's supposed to in, under the Constitution, that it can't just be a sort of blank check authorization. It has to be really specific about who force is being authorized against, where and for how long and for what purpose. Well, that gets to the question about what replaces it. So the vote was to have a new AUMF, correct? So what the vote would do is it would repeal the 2001 okay. authorization after about eight months, which yep. would give um, Congress time to pass a new one should they okay. choose to do so. Do we have that wording yet? So there have been uh, dozens of proposals out there, um, some good, some bad. Um, and uh, there are a couple. There's one in the House by uh, Congressman Engel, who's the ranking member of right. the House Foreign Affairs Committee, of course, is the Committee of Jurisdiction for New uh -huh. uh, War Authorizations. He has a really excellent sort of discussion proposal that's out there uh, that is very clear and specific about who uh, the country would be authorized to fight, that we'd have to comply with international law. Um, that it makes sure that Congress has to weigh in, has a sunset yeah. date, et cetera. On the Senate side, the bipartisan Kane Flake proposal is pretty good. Um, it could be much better. You know, the sunset is five years. That's a pretty long time. Um, it has a pretty broad uh, associated forces definition, which you can see could be abused in some of the ways that the 2001 authorization has been abused. So there's some some decent proposals right. out so there. So we have time to work on those, but I want to I be sure I understand the the vote to repeal did succeed. It passed the House Appropriations Committee. So it passed that, out a committee. It passed out a committee. All right. What are the chances that Paul Ryan will uh, allow a vote on that on the floor? Yeah. So I, I think the chances of this um, language staying in are, are, are pretty small to none, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, let's be realistic here. Yeah, but. you got to be realistic. And I, I, and I think, you know, there's a... A genuine fear that, you know, we don't want to repeal this without making sure that we have come together to reach agreement. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, of course, Cong Congresswoman Lee has, has a point, which is eight months is plenty of time, right? You pass the one after 9-11 within days, yeah, you know, with only right. a couple hours of debate. This is, right. you know, eight months is plenty of time to get this done. But on the other hand, you have those who are afraid of, you know, what happens if politically they're not able to do that and this authority lapses that that um, sort of poses some national security concern. So, you know, so I, I think because of those concerns, it's probably not going to stay in, um, but that it doesn't mean that Congress shouldn't still um, sort of step in and, it's just and do a, its, it's job It still here. is a huge step uh, in the right direction, I think. And, and, um, and again, a credit to the doggedness of Barbara Lee, who is just like a dog with a bone, right? She is not let loose of this, and she's persuaded a lot of her fellow colleagues, Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, I, I think that's the sort of wake-up yeah. call here um, for people is that this issue isn't going away. It needs to be dealt with. And, you know, from our perspective, you know, we're a human rights organization, and I think 
you know, a number of people, sort of, it's hard to sort of see what, how, what does this war authorization have to do with human rights? And um, it's really important that Congress get this right, because this is not like going to war with Germany, where, you know, we know what that means when we go to right. war with Germany. Yeah. We know who their soldiers are. Um, the war is probably not going to last for 20, 30 years. Um, when, you, when you're authorizing going to war against a terrorist group, um, it starts to get really complicated, um, and there's a risk of eroding really important human rights. Because when you go to war, you can use lethal force in circumstances that you otherwise couldn't. You can detain people um, in circumstances when you, uh, you know, you otherwise couldn't outside of war. And so, if you're not careful about how you authorize war against a non-state group like ISIS, um, you run the risk of authorizing you know, extrajudicial executions and indefinite detention practices that otherwise are you know considered really to be um, inconsistent with American values. Uh, so I want to ask you about human rights first. Um, it, it, this we're talking about this in the whole context of human rights. What is the status today? I have the feeling, with the distance that I have from this issue, that there's not much attention being paid to human rights today, um, especially on the part of the current administration. I mean, does Donald Trump ever has he ever spoken about? Human rights. This is a man, I think, who said he wanted to bring back torture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a real concern um, that this administration's lack of focus and attention um, and pushing on human rights um, at say, home and abroad. Yeah, they say, oh, we talk about it privately, right? But publicly, we're not going to say anything about. It. You know, when he's and he invites Duterte from the Philippines to the Oval Office. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not clear that the administration really understands the significance and the impact that these kinds of meetings and um, the sort of public facing statements have on you know the ability of other states to commit uh, human rights abuses. And then, as you mentioned, of course, you know, he has talked about um, using torture again here and that just, you know, whether he actually does or not. I mean, the, the law clearly prohibits it. Um, and yeah, I think the, right. the military very clearly would, um, you know, say no to such an unlawful order uh, at this point. But um, but just even talking about it um, changes the image of the United States around the world as sort of this beacon for freedom and human rights. But the problem is, last time, um, it, it wasn't uh, the military. It was the CIA that was operating these black holes or whatever they called them, right? These secret prisons where we were Right, exactly. But you'll, you know, But you'll hear even the CIA says, we are never going down that road again. We're not really? doing it. Yeah. Um, how about Gitmo, for example? Uh, President Obama tr didn't, but he tried. He wanted to shut it down. This administration's policy? Yeah, well, I mean, if you recall back um, to the election, even before uh, President Obama was elected, that there's sort of bipartisan agreement that keeping Guantanamo open uh, was not good for our national security. And even yeah. uh, McCain wanted to close it down. Right, right. Um, and then you sort of saw that, you know, over the course of the Obama administration, Congress really fought that, uh, and it, be, it became this sort of partisan political issue to the detriment of our national security and standing in the world. Um, and now we're in this different situation where um, this administration, or at least you know, President Trump has said that he wants to fill it up with some bad dudes. And um, again, this is really uh, problematic. You've got you know national security experts, retired generals and admirals, even including the one who was the first um, commanding general down there to start up the detention um, 
uh, process in Guantanamo saying this is bad for our national security. This is not helping us um, to be holding people indefinitely, including we've got five people down there who are actually um, approved to be released um, while Obama was president. And um, those uh, people are still sitting there. And we have people sitting in Guantanamo who've been there since the beginning who still have no charges filed against them. That's right. And 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 have had no opportunity to def- to defend themselves or have s- or present their case in front of a court of law. Right. Correct? Exactly. There's been no. I mean, trial. isn't that the contradiction of everything the United States stands for? I mean, this sort of, this sort of gets to the the importance of the authorization for use of military force. Right. You have to be really careful when you're authorizing war. Exactly what it is exactly that you're authorizing and. You know, does America stand for holding people um, for an entire generation without charge or trial? I don't think so. No, I, I didn't think no, I didn't think we did either. Uh, quickly, um, on the subject of drones, we don't hear that much about. We know it vastly expanded under President Obama, which I've been very critical of. Uh, continues under Donald Trump. Yeah, it's uh, you know the. Drone strikes have continued under uh, Donald Trump, and uh, we've seen um, really sort of frightening uptick in civilian casualties. Um, a number of different explanations have sort of been offered for this, sort of the increased pace of strikes that they're moving into um, sort of more densely populated um, areas. But there's also a lot of concern that just that the Trump administration has been sort of relaxing some of the standards and policies that were um, in place under the prior administration um, that constrained the use of force. Um, and that's really troubling. Uh, and, yeah. you know, our, our hope is that the administration, as it's considering these changes, is going to uh, make sure that they keep these heightened protections in place. Well, it's so good you guys are out there fighting the good fight on behalf of all of us. We're Thank trying. Thank you so much, Rita. Rita. And the organization, uh, check it out and give them your support, is Human Rights First. HumanRightsFirst.org. Rita Simeon, thanks so much for coming in. This is The Bill Press Show. Michael Vick's guilty plea didn't solve the problem of dogfighting in America, but it has put a spotlight on a barbaric practice more common than you might imagine. More than a quarter of a million dogs are placed into fighting pits each year by people who like to watch the bloodletting. I'm Wayne Paselli, President and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. Please join our 10 million members in the campaign to wipe out dogfighting in America. If you've been repulsed by the video clips you've seen in the news, If you're disgusted by the cruelty, and if you think staged animal fights have no place in our communities, then take an active role now. We're going to put dogfighting out of business. To find out how, visit us at humanesociety.org. You'll get the information, the tools, and the connections you need to stop dogfighting in its tracks. Let us hear from you. Help us protect these animals from cruel and abusive treatment. A message from the Humane Society of the United States. Learn more at humanesociety.org. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Monday, July 3rd. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Now we know what Donald Trump does for fun. 
Yeah, he puts out videos beating up reporters. Um, what a sick human being. Uh, it's good to see you. I hope you're enjoying your extended 4th of July weekend. And we thank you for uh, taking time out of all the fun in the sun to uh, join us uh, today. And uh, I'm back with you after a good week off last week. My own fun in the sun up on the beach in Rhode Island. Uh, and thanks to uh, Peter Ogburn and Igor Volsky and Sabrina Siddiqui for uh, keeping the good ship alive here and the discussion going while uh, while I was out of town We've got lots to talk about today as we come to you live coast-to-coast on Free Speech TV, on WCPT out in Chicago, and also on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The big stories, of course. Uh, Donald Trump proving that there is no uh, limits to how low he can go with his latest video uh, beating up on a CNN, what appeared, what <laughs> pretended to be a CNN. Reporter. It's so hard to try to explain what the hell is happening. <laughs> it's an old world, <laughs> no, worldwide, WWE, right? WWE, Worldwide Wrestling Isn't that Entertainment. What it is, yeah, WWE. Yes. Right. Um, a clip that they've refocused, somebody did, and then Donald Trump liked it so much he retweeted it out. Take a look at it. Pretty disgusting. We've been talking about that. And also um, the fact that the Republicans had to throw in the towel. You talked a lot about that last week. Uh, and now they're talking about, oh, no, we're not going to bother uh, replacing Obamacare. After all, we'll just leave uh, 22, 23 million people without a health insurance. We'll just repeal the damn thing and let people scramble on their own. All of that to talk about and more with uh, from the Daily Beast, Andrew D- Desideria, right? Desideria, yeah. Desideria, yeah. hi, Andrew. Nice to see you. Good uh, to see you. Andrew, one of those few reporters who's in town on July 3rd. <laughs> we found out about it. We snagged him here. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. No problem. We'll get right to outside. the news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll get right to the news of the day. Yeah. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Happy day before Independence Day. A lot of people are out of town, including president of the United States. He begins his day at Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. It should be noted that this is his 35th day at a golf course as president. That's all I have to say about that story. All owned by him. All owned by him. Yes, of course. All owned by him. him. This is a big, big, big deal. Uh, Last week, Friday, uh, in Minneapolis, the city council voted to pass a $15 per hour minimum wage increase. Now, they're not the first person to make the, the first city to make that no, happen, no. but they are the first city to allow no special allowances for tipped employees. So if you are a waiter or a waitress or someone who relies on tips, you too are guaranteed $15 an oh, hour. That's good. Yeah, that's I mean, good. they're really, yeah, uh, they're, yeah. they're, that's the big fight, right? A tip to yeah, tip or not no. to tip or to include tipped employees into this minimum wage. Uh, uh, sort of the, the changes that no, are happening. Most people don't realize that there are two different levels. Totally, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that works out in Minneapolis. And Tim Hortons. I, I'm not a Tim Hortons guy. Have you ever had, have you, there are people from Canada, and they love Tim Hortons. I like Tim Hortons. Uh, it's, a couple in Maine since we're close. You know? It's fine. It's, you know, it's fine. But they've unveiled a new poutine-flavored donut. Sign me up. For oh, their goodness. 150th anniversary. New what? Do you know what poutine is? All right. Really? Poutine oh, is... I'm sorry. Fr- it's, it's a I've, Canadian thing. It's a Canadian thing. It's fries like curling? with cheese curds on top and then smothered in gravy. Mm-mm-mm. That's poutine. So good. 
That's poutine. I like poutine. I don't know if I want it on a donut. What they have is a honey dip donut, which is their version of a glazed donut, topped with potato wedges, gravy, and cheese curds. You could get these at all of their Canadian stores, but only five here in America. Ugh. Man. Uh, None in Maine, by the way. No. Only Ohio, Michigan. Bill, we got to do a taste test, an official taste no, test for no. Bill Pressure. No. Okay, You'd like all right. No, You'd I like not like poutine. Wouldn't like a poutine donut. This is a description of it. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Uh, yes, here we go on a Monday, July 3rd. Hello, everybody. Uh, good to be back with you. It is The uh, Bill Press Show, and that's me, out for a week last week. But back with you here on the Young Turks Network, coast to coast, uh, looking at you on Free Speech TV. Coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and of course, joining you out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just funny on a day when almost everybody else is talking about still about Donald Trump's uh, personal attacks and vicious tweets against uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski last week, uh, followed by the tweet over the weekend where he appears to be knocking down and pummeling a CNN reporter uh, that I just saw on Fox News and Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, they're Chiron, and they're talking to Kellyanne Conway about the fact that the president's holiday tweets honor the military. Yeah. So yeah, totally. I guess, you know, it's all in the eyes of the beholder, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> On the news and the politics of the day, Andrew Desiderio from the Daily Beast joins us. Andrew, again, good to see you. Thanks good for morning. coming in. Let's start with the health care battle. So, you know, there were several voices, Republican voices over the weekend who said now that we failed last week, we didn't have enough people to repeal and replace, maybe we should just be talking about um, repeal and then doing replace maybe later. Here's Ben Sass from uh, Nebraska. Uh, let's not rush into this. If we can do a combined repeal and replace over the next week, that's great. If we can't, though, then there's no reason to walk away. We should do repeal with a delay. Let's be clear. I don't want to see anybody thrown off the coverage they have now. But I think we should get straight to work at around-the-clock hearings on the replace plan. Uh, Mike Lee uh, from uh, Nevada, right? Utah. Utah, sorry. Yeah. Utah, yeah. If, if politically, for some reason, we can't get that done, what we ought to do is get back to what I've been suggesting for the last six months, uh, which is to push full repeal and then uh, embark on an iterative step-by-step -step process to decide what comes next. So is this really the direction they're going in? I think this is a lot of the Republican senators starting to realize that it's going to take longer than they thought to bridge those divides between the moderates and the more conservative wing of their party in the Senate. Um, you first Wait, heard this. They were this. supposed to repeal on day one. They were supposed to, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. they're realizing they need more time and they can't come to an agreement now. So what's been floated now, and Senator Sass is sort of at the, at the front of this, uh, he wrote to the president last week, uh, and the president actually tweeted it. He said, you know, maybe we should just repeal now and, and replace later. Um, if we can't get a comp combined repeal and replace right now, what we should do is just repeal the Affordable Care Act. And then w another thing Senator Sass said was actually have hearings and talk about this and debate it and talk about it within our caucus. Um, and to meanwhile, maybe what happens later. to uh, 
23, 30, whatever, however many millions of people who lose our health insurance. You heard Senator Sass say that he wants to make sure that any sort of repeal and delay would ensure that in the meantime people don't lose their insurance. How so you we're do that, to, so, I don't know. Uh, right. So we're going to repeal it, but it doesn't really mean anything, right? We, we, it won't kick in. I guess it would be symbolic, yeah. Just to, so that they can go home and say, look, voters, constituents, we promised this to you and we've delivered. Isn't so. this like the dog that catches the car, finally? I mean, <laughs> I, I, it can seem like that a lot of times, right? I mean, in the sense that, okay, we repealed it. Now what the hell do we do? Yeah, I mean, right? like this has been the Republican calling card for, what, seven years now? I was going to say, what have they been doing for the last seven years? They've been calling on, on you know, their uh, their leaders to repeal and replace it. And but, now that it's time to been, actually do that, they can't agree on an actual proposal. What I mean, proposal. For, for seven years, yep. they have done nothing to shape a any kind of a plan to replace. Well, what they've shaped is the debate. They've shaped shape the debate around the co- country right. but they don't around have, this issue of they healthcare. They do not have a replacement plan. Right? As of now, they do not, no. They have something stunning, that they agreed to in the House, which they, passed, yeah. but you have 52 Republicans in the Senate that can't come together. They lose more than two votes. It's tanked. Right. So um, It's almost like they have no idea how to lead. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Yeah, right. It is. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. Like that. So at this point, and again, by the way, all the trouble that they've had so far in the House, and that they're having, and now that they're having trouble in the Senate, none of it, not one bit of it, is because of the Democrats. Well, it's all infighting. Remember, in the House, they have a much bigger majority than they have in the Senate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they can yeah, afford yeah, yeah. to lose a lot more votes in the House from either more moderate people or more conservative people, mm-hmm. and still, you know, push something through, which is what they did with the AHCA. Yeah, and even still, it barely right. happened. Yeah. Yep. Right. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it's worth a point. I mean, Donald Trump is saying, you know, the problem is the Democrats are obstructionist and they're obstructing everything. I mean, so far, uh, I mean, Democrats la- might like to be the obstructionist, but I think more of them are willing to work together to, to for some reasonable plan. But but that that point aside, the Republican strategy in in this Senate has been to do this entirely with Republican votes without any Democratic input at all. Right. So Democrats have been saying we're willing to come to the table to help fix the Affordable Care Act, but what's off the table for them is a repeal. If yeah. you take off for if you take repeal off the table, you lose more than half of the Republican caucus, right? So that actually makes it it harder to actually fix the law. So um you know, Senate uh, Congressman John Yarmuth from uh, from Kentucky, Kentucky yeah. uh, a, a member of the congressional delegation together with Mitch McConnell, yeah. who knows Mitch McConnell very well, sat right in that chair last week mm-hmm. and told us that he believes, actually, this was the week before last week because I was not here last week. But so before this all came down, he said his belief actually is that Mitch McConnell doesn't care about this health care thing. He, he'd be willing, he'd be happy if it failed because he wants to move on to tax reform and that his heart is really not in the, and maybe that showed in, in putting this vote off. I buy part of that argument. I buy the fact that Mitch McConnell wants to move on to tax reform, yeah. but I don't buy that he's okay with this failing because he's been talking about this for years and years and years from the Senate floor as both minority leader and majority leader. Um, it would look really, really bad on him on a multitude of, of levels if they come away from this not, uh, you know, repealing and replacing. But it Obamacare. did look bad for him last week to have oh, to admit sure. that he couldn't get the vote. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah, he's you know he went in front of the cameras, swallowed all of his pride and 
and uh, basically told everyone we don't have the votes and we need more time. Well, there is kind of a parallel here with what happened in the House when uh, Paul Ryan had to do the exact same thing. Exactly. And they pulled he, it and delayed it. And then he brings it back to life. Right. Uh, Zombie Trump care coming back to is, life. Is that, yeah, right. Uh, do you think Mitch McConnell will be able to do the same thing? Well, I mean, here's what's tough about it. Yesterday on the Sunday shows, you heard like three different series of events of where this stands right now. You heard one from Mark Short, the White House legislative director. He said, basically, we're making progress, we're getting there. You heard Senator Rand Paul, who said the opposite. He said, we're at an impasse, we're not getting anywhere. And then the third was what we heard Senator Sass say. Um, so honestly, it's anybody's guess at this point because we're even hearing different uh, you know, perspectives on where they stand even right now. Um, I was just checking here. I think it's the front page of the Washington uh, Post this Today's morning. Today's Post, yeah. Um, that points out that um, one person who is kind of not weighed in at all and has not been doing much to help at all is the president of the United States himself, uh, who could be using his bully pulpit to rally votes for this, could be calling people, could be actually maybe engaging himself in the substantive discussion about what should be in it, and that he is not even on the, on the field, not even uh, a, a player. I mean, I think his tweets are certainly distracting from that, but Another thing that Mark Short said yesterday on, on one of the Sunday shows was that the president is engaged. He's still making phone calls and doing these things. But, but they always say I that. Mean, and he, yeah. you know, he mm -hmm. claims that, that they're making such huge progress, even on the tax reform bill, which, of course, mm -hmm. hasn't even been written yet. And this is the July 4th recess. It's dead here in D.C. There's not much happening, no movement. And we're back in a week. A week from today is when the Senate gets back in town. By the way, so, on, on, on the Trump and the whole tweets and all that stuff oh. he, ju he just tweeted oh, uh, I felt my phone vibrate I know like, yeah what is that? <laughs> it's semi-relevant to what we're talking about here he says yeah. uh, at some point the fake news will be forced to discuss our great jobs numbers strong economy success with ISIS and the border the, the border and so much else here's, so essentially here's my problem he's complaining that. that we're not talking about other things. all the great we things could, that he's done yeah. we could be talking about all of that right jobs numbers we could be talking about the fight against ISIS we could be talking about the VA accountability sure. measure that he, he put through last week or the week before. But we're not because the president sets the agenda with what he says, with his official communications through his Twitter account and what he's choosing to use his time on. Mm -hmm. So we could be talking about that stuff. He's absolutely right. But I would argue that he's the reason why we're not. Uh, in fact, on this issue, Jamie, if we can, Tom Price and I, I congratulate my friend Chuck Todd for pursuing this yesterday when – Tom Price uh, takes the attitude about how dare you ask me about this. Mika, uh, I, I, I'm not sure which tweet he was talking. I think he was talking about the Mika Joe Morning Joe. Yeah, tweets. it was that one. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and Chuck fires back. No. Whoops. This is really remarkable. You've got incredible challenges across this nation, Tom incredible challenges around the world. The challenge that I've been given is to address the health care issues. And, and, and your program, uh, a program with the incredible history of Meet the Press, and, and, and that's what you want to talk about? I, I Let don't. me just suggest uh, to you that the American people want to talk about the challenges. I'm asking Let me just you suggest why you the that president the American of the United want... Mr. Secretary, with all due respect, you're blaming me for what the president of the United States has spent his entire week focused on? Bingo, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, Tom Price can take umbrage at the fact that he'd be asked about it, but he's the cabinet secretary in charge of health care, mm -hmm. and he can't get health care done. One of the reasons is, right, 
the president's off on this other personal attack nonsense. He knew he'd be asked about it going into the Sunday he show. He totally knew he was going to be asked about it. And I think that was just Tom Price right there expressing his frustration, not at Chuck Todd. I really don't think he was expressing frustration at Chuck Todd because he knew that he had to ask about it and that he was going to have to answer to it, right? He was expressing frustration at the president. You could tell by the tone of his voice he was exasperated that he could not keep talking about health care this whole weekend and where they stand and sort of how they get to a combined repeal and replace. And, you know, that's just the theme we've seen. We've been seeing from a lot of not only top Trump officials, but Republicans in Congress who are who just want the president to focus on his legislative agenda and those items that that Peter just listed. And you know, if I could just for for. Like in that tweet, right? He says, at some point, the fake news media will be forced to discuss our great jobs numbers, strong economy, success with ISIS, the border, and so much else. What does he mean by forced? He's he's saying what it, does he mean the by numbers forced? are going to be so good that you can't ignore it anymore. I, I'd like to that's think what that's saying. what he means, but in or, his mind, he's... or he means that uh, the ratings will go so low yeah. that that media will say, "Oh, we have to start saying how great Donald Trump is if we're going to get our ratings back." I don't know what he means. Mm. I'm, uh, is a different different opinion of how the media works, and uh, but uh, you know what's just so strange. This is a whole different conversation because this is a character who was who was made by the media. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it weren't for the Apprentice, he wouldn't be where he is today. Well, he... If it weren't for the loving care, uh, uh, loving attention that he got from all of the media, all the cable networks during the campaign, initially, why right? they covered his camp- they covered his rallies. Beginning to end, they didn't do that for any other candidate. We saw all the numbers about all the free media he got compared to anybody else, right? That's they right. They made him. They put him there more than any other force, I believe, in the White House. And yet now his entire time is spent in this attack on the media. Well, he relishes War in this. On the media. He relishes in this because he knows that every time he goes after the media, especially in, in his more vicious ways— he knows that there's going to be a large response from those of us in the media and that we'll talk about it. And then he can use that to sort of demean and degrade, you know, legitimate reporting and critical voices that are that are, you know, uh, present in the media. And another thing I was thinking about yesterday when we saw this, the WWE tweet was something I think about a lot with with this president is what if President Obama had tweeted something like oh, this, oh, and instead oh, of CNN, it was the Fox News logo oh, in, yeah. on, oh, on yeah. Vince, oh, yeah. Vince McMahon's face, right? Right. There would be pandemonium, and rightly so, because it is it is very um, evident that based on the reactions we saw from things President Obama did while he was office from voices like Fox News and others on the right, how they would react to something like this. And you're not seeing the same type of reaction when Trump does it. Well, you're not even seeing, um, first of all, we're seeing no no criticism, condemnation, or questioning from any member of the White House staff, which I find curious in and of itself. I mean, how could, how could if we have that little clip from last week, Thursday, how could Sarah Huckabee Sanders, right, stand in front of the press corps at the White House? I was out of town last week. I didn't see her, but I certainly heard mm-hmm. it, and say this. The president in no way, uh, form or fashion, has ever uh, promoted or encouraged violence, if anything, quite the contrary. And he was simply uh, pushing back and defending himself. How dumb does she think we are? 
We, we were covering his rallies when he was encouraging people to punch people out and, and saying he would love to do so himself. She said that last Thursday before this tweet yeah, over the weekend yeah. when we had the history of the things he said on the campaign, uh, encouraging people to beat up protesters, saying he would pay the legal fees, things like that. And then just a couple of days later, you have the tweet where it, it is quite literally encouraging violence against reporters. And that's not something I, I say lightly, and it's not meant to be a, a political statement or anything, because there are newsrooms, there are news organizations who are actually hiring security for their journalists, for their reporters who go out and report now, because they are worried about, uh, legitimately so, about their safety, because there are voices that gin up uh, anti-media sort of incitement. And so. this Trumper, Gianforte, who was just elected out of Montana, mm -hmm. beating up this reporter the night before he was elected. He's now a member, now a member of Congress. Right, yeah. like this whole well, idea. Well, to his credit, though, he did donate fifty thousand dollars to the Committee to Protect Journalists, so it was an act of con uh, contrition on his part. But I mean, you're right that there were not many critical voices uh, from at least the Trump sector after that. It, you know, you bring up the Gianforte thing, and you bring up all of the uh, sort of obnoxiousness from the Trump rallies when he was running for president, putting the reporters in the pen. You know, like in the middle of this crowd where the Trump supporters could just all turn around and, yeah, you know, berate them. And uh, it's just like if this CNN tweet was just a one off thing, like I could see the people going, oh, he's just having fun. And what? But like the narrative has already been built. No, it's you, an escalation of what he's been doing for years. No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the committee to protect journalism. Mm -hmm. What's what's really frightening here is this is a great organization. It's been around for a long time mm -hmm. that I've supported and most of us in the media support. And their role has been uh, to protect journalists in countries around the world where there is no free press and right. reporters are actually locked up or executed or kind of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, now their mission has changed to protecting reporters in the United States of America. Right, and I would argue you can't really compare, you know, the the freedom of the, of the press pr uh, protections that are just so enshrined in our Constitution uh, compared to what you see in other countries, right? Right. But certainly no. when it's under attack like that, you feel like you do have to devote your resources to defending what we already have in this yeah. country. Yeah, I mean, suddenly yeah. they're shifting from, like, Russia, right, or I don't know, Uganda or someplace. Venezuela, or, or too. Venezuela, yeah. Let's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're talking really about this in, here in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, which you know is, is is pretty stunning. So the question is, well, first of all, two questions. One, and Brian Stelter made this point on CNN yesterday. Why hasn't there been more uh, outrage uh, on the part of members of the media about this or other media organizations. I mean, something else that Brian Stelter said was maybe it's time for journalists to sort of band together and, and say, you know, Mr. Yeah. President, it's, it's not okay to do this. And that's not meant to be sort of in a political Again, way, right? No, exactly. Like, it doesn't matter that no, you're a exactly. Republican or a right. Democrat or whatever. It's to say that these attacks are not something that are, you know, uh, they are belief beneath the dignity of your office, essentially, right? And I feel like you've seen you've seen a lot of that among among journalists. Um, but in terms of you know, um, not enough becoming uh, sort of in in an activist nature, banding together to to confront these these challenges. I don't think you've seen that. But in terms of speaking out, I think it's been nearly unanimous uh, among journalists. Right, but I mean, I uh, to me. 
the big news organization. I mean, I haven't heard the president of CBS or the president of NBC or whatever. The executive editor of the uh, New York Times, Dean Beckett, uh, said said uh, something similar yesterday. So he's and, one. And yeah. Jeff Zucker did the president of yeah. CNN. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, yep. I, you know, it's his network coming directly under some, attack. Exactly. No, you so expect him to respond. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just like to see some of these other voices. It will never happen. I like to see Fox News stand up and say, "No, Mr. President, you know." We're as far from CNN as you can get, but this is not the way you treat journalists mm-hmm. or should uh, treat journalists. And then you cover Congress. What's it going to take for these Republicans, particularly in the Senate, to say, okay, th- enough is enough. You know, we cannot, we cannot accept this. Now, there were uh, two or three voices over the weekend who did say this is not presidential, this mm-hmm. is not appropriate. Yeah. But – Th- they were the rare exceptions. I think they're going to have to compromise with each other as if they were would be compromising with Democrats. You have three main issues. One is the Medicaid phase out. Number two is uh, the uh, insurance regulations under Obamacare. And number three is possible funding for the opioid crisis, which more moderates like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski definitely want to see in any sort of health care bill. So I think when it comes to uh, especially the Medicare uh, phase out, you're going to have to have some sort of compromise whereby the moderates want a seven year phase out and then the conservatives Mm -hmm. want a more, um, you know, a sooner phase out, essentially. Right. So you're going to have to compromise there. You're going to have to compromise on the insurance regulations. And, you know, you're going to have to maybe compromise over whether there is going to be any funding. Uh, to uh, combat the opioid crisis. Okay. So okay. it's going to be like they're negotiating with Democrats there, but they're really negotiating among their own caucus. And okay. you're going to have people unhappy either way. And will they ever get to the point where they do what Joe Manchin suggested yesterday and Chuck Schumer has suggested also is, uh, you point out, you got to get repeal off the table. But, hey, uh, you want to fix some of these problems, which are legitimate mm-hmm. problems, that in some cases premiums are too high. Uh, in some cases, uh, well, there's no availability right now for a public plan option. Mm-hmm. Or you want to you want to improve Obamacare? It definitely needs it. Yeah, we'll work with you on that. Right. Will they ever get to that point? If the Democrats come to the table and they say repeal is off the table, Republicans will walk away from the table. They will not take anything. Republicans will never get to the point where they say. Our better strategy is just to fix this rather than end it. I mean, you might have a couple eventually like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Bill Cassidy that might come around to that. But it's not going to happen. Because because they've been seven years talking about repeal for seven years. They're so into it that they can't get. And you have millions and millions of people who they have promised for seven years. When we get into power, when Republicans get into power, this is what we're going to do. And do those people realize that they're going to lose their health insurance because of it? You'll have to ask them. This is the thing that I keep saying when we talk about how screwed up the Democrats are, and they are, but like the Republicans, even though they have the White House, the House, and the Senate, they have much bigger problems. I really do think that because they have no idea what their party stands for anymore. Something I saw yesterday was that a lot of the front pages around the country uh, in local newspapers, regional newspapers, city newspapers, um, was you saw on the front pages, there was a lot of critical reporting on uh, what the Senate health care bill would do to their state, to their city, and how it, it would affect those people directly. So I would say I, th- I think you're seeing really good reporting done, whether it's positive or negative, on how certain localities, certain cities, certain states would be directly affected positively or negatively 
by this health care bill, because certainly there are states that have been hit harder uh, and not as hard by the Affordable Care Act and the changes that were instituted there. Um, so I think the fact that you're seeing a lot of really good reporting done at the local level um, is something that's that's heartening for people and uh, and cert- certainly for people like us in the national media who don't focus on that as much. Um, I think it's important to remember that there is really good reporting being done at the local level so that you know average Americans can know how this law will affect them directly. Yeah, but so when you outline, just d- 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 like even the Congressional Budget Office did, mm-hmm. you outline exactly what this bill would do, who would be impacted, what would happen to them, uh, how some people would pay more, some people would lose their insurance, some people would protection now, particularly with Medicaid, exactly what happened to people in Medicaid, and you and you outline all those facts, right? That's exactly what the media should be doing. Yeah. And you know what we call that? Fake news. <laughs> well, I don't think we would call it that. No. But, I mean, that's... I know. That's, yeah, that's what it would be termed. Mm-hmm. Fake news because yeah. it's not adulatory. It's not... Right. And and there are some a few positive numbers coming out of the CBO that the administration has been highlighting. One of them is the deficits, deficits right. going to go down, taxes are going to go down, things like that, right? So... You know, it's it, it it does come back to the the normal battle of political framing, how you frame your argument at the at the national level. Right. So, man. Uh, so they come back what a week from today. A week from today, the Senate's back. Thing, this whole thing will play out. Just, even when they come back, they're gonna. It's gonna take some time to get this. I think we're gonna have to see how this week goes, and and whether we get any updates at all on progress. I honestly don't think we're gonna get much of anything. They're all at home. Some of them are away on vacation. Um, a lot of them take this time to go on foreign trips, particularly to the yeah, Middle East. Right. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But we should have been expecting a vote uh, the week they come back next week. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. It's going to take longer than that, I believe. Yeah, it's anybody's guess. All right, Andrew, fun times for you up there over there on That's the hill. That's for sure. <laughs> Andrew DeCiderio, political reporter for the Daily Beast at dailybeast.com, of course. Thanks so much for coming in, Thanks Andrew. for having me. Uh, John Easley joining us next from The Hill, another campaign reporter. Talk about um, these special elections. Democrats 0-4. Mm, that's not good. We'll be right back. The fake media tried to stop us from going to the White House, but I'm president and they're not. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson, and I need your help. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 20s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stop arresting law-abiding citizens because they prefer marijuana over alcohol. Nearly 2,000 Americans are arrested every day on marijuana charges. We're unfairly destroying the lives and careers of hundreds of thousands of people each year simply because they smoke marijuana. These are not criminals. They're average citizens like you, good neighbors who work hard, raise families, pay taxes, and contribute to their communities. We need your help to end marijuana prohibition once and for all. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Mano, caminas en áreas iluminadas, evitas ver a extraños de frente. 
Cierras tu puerta con una y quizás hasta con dos cerraduras. Ahora piensas que estás segura. Piensa de nuevo. Porque si no estás comiendo sano, no te mantienes activa, si fumas o no visitas al doctor, estás poniendo en riesgo tu salud. Infórmate cómo puedes protegerte a ti misma al 1-866-399-6789. Un mensaje de la American Cancer Society, de la American Diabetes Association, de la American Heart Association y del Ad Council. Si sigues haciendo esa cara, se te va a congelar así. No, a menos que usted esté en un lugar muy, muy frío. ¿Otra galleta? ¡Te vas a convertir en una galleta! Nunca nadie se ha convertido en una galleta. En realidad, muchas de las advertencias de mamá son exageraciones. Si no te haces chequear la presión, podrías tenerla alta, ni saberlo, y morir de un ataque al cerebro. Pero en este caso, ella tiene razón. Llame a la Asociación Americana del Corazón o para aprender más, visite nuestro sitio en el web. About two or three months ago, I started having money problems. Ever since then, I've had a pretty hard time keeping up with the bills. The worst part is I can't make the house payments. So when the phone started to ring and I knew it was the mortgage people calling, I didn't pick it up. I just couldn't. And the notices were coming in the mail too. Lots of them. Now I may lose my house and I don't know what to do. If you're facing foreclosure, doing nothing only puts you deeper in the hole. Now's the time to dig yourself out. Call 1-888-995-HOPE today. That's 1-888-995-4673. Because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWorks, the Ad Council, and this station. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it on a Monday, July 3rd? Hey, folks, great to see you. Great to be back with you here on The Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital and uh, reaching out to you coast to coast uh, on Free Speech TV, on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And out in the Chicago area on WCPT, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those great men and women who keep our federal agencies working day in and day out, proud to get up and work for America every day uh, under the leadership of President J. David Cox. For more information, check out their website at afge.org. Kind of quiet in Washington, D.C. these days with the House and the Senate and the President um, vice president, so far as I know, all out of town. But, um, you know, there are a few of us here who just never give up the ship. Day in and day out, we're there to bring you the news of the day. John Easley is one of those, campaign reporter for the great newspaper The Hill, uh, joining us in studio. John, it's good to see you. Good to Thank see you. you. Thanks for um, having me. Is the Hill officially operating today? Are the uh, offices oh, we're open? On. We're on. Really? Yeah, You're on yeah, it? Yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah. You know, that Bob Cusack, he's a slave driver. Relentless. You know? he Absolutely is. relentless. It's yeah. unfair. <laughs> and he's got the gambling problem, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> and the drinking problem. When you combine the sad, two, you know, really, it's really yeah, sad. No, it's so sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just tell him we said hello. We'll give him, tell him we said yeah. hello. We'll keep it at that. Yeah. <laughs> give, him, <laughs> give him our best when you get there. Oh, man. Um, where do we start? Well, I, we haven't talked about this yet today. So, 
Um, Donald Trump is on the warpath. He claimed famously, right, that he would have won the popular vote as well as the electoral vote if only three to five million people had not voted illegally mm. for Hillary Clinton. Uh, now he is set to prove that that is exactly the case by appointing uh, a commission to, to 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 study this issue. Huh? Right, right. Vice President Pence leading it along with uh, <laughs> Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, obviously a, a Trump ally. We remember him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. And uh, I guess what the latest development is we've we've got they put out a request for information to the states for personal information, voter ID information. And uh, we're seeing a backlash from some of these secretaries of state, from some Republicans even. I think the secretary of state from Mississippi mm-hmm. told whoever was requesting the information they could go jump in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but clearly a backlash. I think there's some suspicion among some of these folks that the White House is out to prove sort of yeah. their their pre-drawn conclusion that there was massive voter fraud that cost Trump the, the popular vote. And uh, for a variety of reasons, some privacy-related, obviously, they don't want to fork over the information at this point. So we've got yeah. a showdown between the White House and the states. I mean, well, that is a goldmine for <laughs> hackers, right? Like, oh, if that oh, is, totally. if, yeah. if that was, you know, <laughs> heaven forbid, that's the way that this goes, that could be that could be really, really bad. Well, first and, of all... And, by the way, uh, it, the Trump Commission is, according to the HuffPost, is demanding voter data via an unsecured email. So if that's, uh, yes, right. if that's the server that they're using, it's going to go up on an unsecured C- email server. And then what? <laughs> well, well, first of all, the, the first problem with this is it's a total um, fraudulent claim, right? No proof at all. There's been no proof, yeah. Second, that, um, that this commission... <laughs> is stacked, right, with people who are uh, Don from puts there because he thinks that they will do what he wants and come up with this claim. But, you know, the other thing is that voting, voter fraud, voting rights, everything, is the prerogative of the states. Every state sets up its election system differently, uh, not all differently, but the way it wants to. They, they monitor this stuff. The Secretary of States are responsible for this. This is their jurisdiction. And I think what you're seeing here is some some blowback from states saying, no, this is the federal government going too far. You know, we, we're we responsible in our state. You know, we um, monitor for voter fraud. Mm-hmm. There have been countless studies or investigations into voter fraud, all of whom have come up basically with a big fat zero. Well, I mean, in some ways it's it's kind of a shame it's become so politicized. I mean, we know – that there was Russian meddling in the 2016 election, right? Oh, yeah. Right? No, we don't talk I mean, about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I yeah. mean, it's, you know, there's certainly a, a, a yeah. place to ensure that, uh, that right. the voting apparatus is is, is secure uh, against this kind of thing. It just, you know, what we've seen the statements coming out from President Trump directly, and it just it, it, it leads one to believe that this is sort of a, a, a search um, to, to, to find this pre-drawn conclusion that he's, you know, that this might have cost him the popular vote, rather than maybe take a look at some real vulnerabilities that might exist in the in the voting system. Uh, it is interesting that the president has set up has not set up a commission to study the, the Russian hacking into uh, our election system. He has also attacked the one investigation that's underway on possible collusion as a witch hunt, mm-hmm. and yet he set up this commission to look for voter fraud here in the United to to prove. 
three to five million people voted illegally here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, some uh, of the pushback is, should be expected, I think, from some of the the Democrats running uh, the the voting uh, apparatuses in these yeah. states. But the the fact that Republicans are are pushing back on some of the privacy issues and, and this sort of thing, I think, is sort of a red flag. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a commission that's uh, that's going nowhere. I I would I would expect that that someday it will disband, just quietly disband and disappear, right? And then the White House hopes nobody notices <laughs> that this commission uh, no longer exists anymore. Um, so you're, uh, you cover campaigns for, um, for the Hill. Um, on the special elections, congressional elections, uh, at the end of the day after the last vote in Georgia and, well, and Montana, is the Democrats ended up with a record of zero and four, right? Uh, was that to be expected, or Democrats just failed to fight the good fight? Well, I don't know. They they certainly didn't fail to fight the good fight. We saw tens of millions of dollars, in some cases, pumped into some of these races. I think maybe uh, the expectations might have been a little out of balance with what, what should have been expected there. Um, I mean, obviously, these special races always get more attention. We're, heard, we're told, you know, don't take these as a bellwether or as a prognosticator. And yet there was, I mean, there was so much, uh, you know, Democrats were eager to, to hang one of these victories on the board and they, and they fell short. I think that's meaningful, but I think also it doesn't necessarily predict what we're going to see in, in 2018. I mean, that's going to be a completely different political landscape by then. So it's, it's, it's easy to want to read a lot into it, uh, but uh, it's, it's probably best to hold off. But uh, certainly I think it was a huge disappointment for Democrats that they couldn't least land one of these, particularly the the Georgia House race with John Ossoff. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the polling indicated it was they were neck and neck. It was uh, uh, if you listen to the talking heads in the media, it was going to be going all night. And it wasn't even really that that close four point victory, I think, for Karen Handel. So, um, yeah, disappointment, certainly, certainly on that end, but also probably not smart to read too much into it about what it means for 2018. Because each, each, and I, I, uh, uh, absolutely right, the d- disappointment and the failure of the Democratic Party, in a sense, to deliver to their promise. Maybe their expectations were too high. But each of these districts uh, opened up because the president chose somebody for the cabinet from a safe Republican. Right. Quote, unquote. Smart move. Safe right. Republican mm-hmm. district. So we're not going to lose anybody. Republicans are going to guaranteed almost to win each of these four. So this 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 is a safe move. Georgia turned out to be problematic, but um, they, they were not prime territory no, for Democrats. No, they weren't. Or even toss up districts in a, in a lot of cases. They should have been safely Republican, and Republicans held on to them. I mean, I think I do think that probably Democrats overestimated what they believed would be uh, Trump's drag on some of these candidates. I mean, we haven't seen any evidence that that's the case right now. I mean, as, as much no. as the frenzy that yeah. you hear inside Washington about you know right. Trump's approval rating being so low uh, and just, I, I guess, the erratic nature of his behavior in some cases is going to doom some of these, these candidates, uh, we haven't seen that in, in these red districts yet. We haven't seen Trump supporters abandon him yet. And I think that's probably something Democrats should keep in mind as we head into 2018. It's not going to be, uh, you know, maybe just a clean sweep like you're expecting just because we hear how bad Trump is inside Washington. Every well, day. he's not the only politician uh, that people do consider now to be kind of a, perhaps a millstone around uh, their neck. Uh, there's also New Jersey um, <laughs> uh, with Chris Christie, who before this weekend uh, was already considered a political liability 
uh, in coming up in the governor's race when his lieutenant governor, I forget her name. I'm drawing a blank too, but okay. Uh, well, the internet maybe. Right. Yeah. But Peter can check real quickly. Um, uh, so his lieutenant governor is running, and and I talked with some friends from New Jersey over the weekend about how can she distance herself from Chris Christie and Kim everybody. Guadano, what's ah. it? Kim Guadano. Kim Guadano. Yeah. That. She can't because she's his lieutenant governor. Uh, if, as if it were not bad enough for Chris Christie, then this weekend, we talked about this just a little bit earlier, but in case you, you missed it. So Chris Christie, in a snit with the legislature, uh, has sh- shut down state government, right? Uh, this is, uh, this is the, way, the way he's going out with a bla- in a blaze of glory, uh, including shutting down all state parks, and, which included this one great, big, beautiful beach where the governor happened to have a house as governor. It's not mm. his personal one, I guess, the governor's. Uh, so the beach is shut down to the public as well as all state parks over the weekend. But, of course, Chris Christie shows up with his family at his beach house and goes out on the beach with this crowd. The only people in the entire stretch of beaches, nobody there. Miles. 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 But the Christie family. Uh, and Chris Christie insists, Peter, do you, do you still have that? Uh, here he is. Yeah, here's the quote. Uh, when he's asked about it, how is it that nobody else is able to go to the beach on Fourth of July weekend, but you can, he says, quote, that's just the way it goes. Run for governor, and you can have a residence there. Mm. <laughs> and then he added, I didn't get any sun today. Uh, and one of the uh, local papers in uh, New Jersey, I forget which, it doesn't say here which one it is, but they hired a plane and they flew over the beach right. and they got a great aerial shot of Chris Christie sitting there like a beached whale in his beach chair uh, uh, soaking in the sun. Chris Christie says, I didn't get any sun today. And later, a staffer had to come out and say, he didn't get any sun. He had a baseball hat on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how bad can it like get? Technicality. Yeah. I, mean, I think I mean, probably the lowest approval rating for a governor, sitting governor, Right now, in all of the country. Well, whatever uh, it was, just, it just went down again. It just—I mean, just <laughs> just astounding. It doesn't look seem like he he cares. The front page <laughs> like, of the New Jersey papers this morning are absolutely brutal because mm. they just show him sitting out on the beach. That photo of him and sitting. Chris out. Christie lounges on a beach that he closed to everybody else, and he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. Or he's at the point where he doesn't give a damn right because i mean how far has he fallen to i mean he's a top-notch politician at one point a real presidential yeah contender he was the and, hope of the republican party at one right, point right and you even saw in some of those debates i mean he's a solid communicator and a fierce fighter and you could see the political talent there but it's just total yeah uh, spiraled i i i thought in 2012 chris christie if he had run he would have been the Republican nominee, and he would have given right. Barack yeah. Obama a real run for mm-hmm. his money. Yeah, uh, and that was his high point, almost right. It's, <laughs> it was all downhill from there. <laughs> they have a window, and I think that was his window, and he missed it. Yeah, it really does show how quickly things move, right? Mm-hmm. Because he, I think, was banking on the fact that people would remember him, would want him around in 2016, and they just didn't. I mean, he he made a splash in the debates. But he was never a serious competitor in the in the No, primaries. he wasn't. Not right. even a little bit. Right. I mean, the only impact he really had was ending things for Marco Rubio yeah. in, the, uh, right. in, yeah. in the one debate, the right. malfunctioning robot. Right. Debate. Yeah. So 
how low can you go not to get a job from Donald Trump? You know, I mean, after he sucked up to Donald Trump so much, he was the chief per- right there, right after the election, the chief spokesperson for Donald <sighs> Trump. He was on Morning Joe every morning on yeah. the other shows praising Donald Trump. Um, he was head of his transition for a brief moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then he just gets totally locked out. And I mean, there's so much uh, just cloak and dagger and and just pathos involved in uh, in in working for Trump. I mean, you're right; he yeah. was leading the transition effort. We've heard differing uh, stories about why that might have come yeah. to an end. Whether it's a, a Jared feud with Kushner Jared Kushner, was not or real his fond father. of him. We understand, right? Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard from from folks that uh, Christie didn't necessarily think that Trump would win and didn't have the whole transition process set up, so they were starting from scratch on. On day one, uh, just a whole range of reasons, but certainly we saw Christie become a, a key ally for Trump during the campaign, stand by him, and and in in some regards be humiliated publicly on on some of these things. There was just video of him, you know, appearing with Trump at a at a rally, yeah, and then Trump yeah. asking him to leave. You hear about snide remarks, you know, made made about Christie. So, uh, uh, yeah, some indications that working for Trump isn't always necessarily very pleasant and won't necessarily give you the rewards that you think that you might be getting down the road. So uh, if we know how things may go in New Jersey, what's your take on uh, Virginia, where there's uh, also very important governor's race this year? Uh, Ed Gillespie up against uh, Ralph Latham? Ralph Northam. Northam. Northam, 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 sorry. Right. You know, it's hard to say. I think this might be another one where it's just it's going to get a lot of money uh, a, a lot of attention, obviously, for being so close to Washington, but maybe not another one we don't want to read too too closely into, particularly being a, a, a governor's race. But obviously, there's such a dearth of political races this year; it's going to be viewed as another referendum oh, yeah. on yeah. <laughs> on on Trump and 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 how uh, how both parties, I guess, are performing in in the in the age of Trump. Um, it is in, in, interesting, though. We did we did hear the the Georgia race being cast as a as a referendum on Trump, and then as soon as the Republican won, no, we we don't hear that you know uh, too much anymore. So I think it might be another one we don't want to get ahead of. But but yeah, the last major one of the last major political races of 2017 is probably going to attract a lot of money and a lot of oxygen, especially inside Washington. Well, if there is a Mister Republican establishment, it's Ed Gillespie. Right, right. Former White House aide, former top Republican lobbyist, former head of the DNC, head of the one of the Republican national conventions, um, has always been. He, I mean, he's the ultimate kind of Washington insider. And in terms of the Republican Party, whether he was a never Trumper, I don't know. But he's the exact opposite kind of Republican from a Donald Trump. How does he deal with Trump in the White House? He, you know, with. I'm sure there are parts, pockets of Virginia we know that are solid Trump. Right, right. No, totally. I mean, that's but sort of But not the, Northern Virginia, where not the Northern votes Virginia, are. Not Northern Virginia, no. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the uh, the big question for all these these candidates running. Are you a Trump Republican? Are you going to try to separate yourself from him and risk, you know, risk sort of losing out on the energy that Trump undoubtedly brings out of his base? And these, these folks show up, and they showed up in— in 2016, I mean, it's a it's, it's a political calculation for every last one of them, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what this establishment Republican, this close to Washington, how how he's going to run run his campaign. I I mean, imagine he'll run it like other establishment Republicans and sort of you know talk talk out against Trump when he when it's convenient for him, but um, also try to court the base in some way. But that's just a fine line to walk for a lot of these candidates. Right. What every candidate is being asked today, or every elected, every every 
uh, elected official, particularly Republicans, are being asked today. Um, it, it, it's back to the old question that we have asked ourselves so many times, how low can you go, right? Uh, during the campaign, we kept asking this, how low can you go? When Donald Trump said, I could walk out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and my base would still love it. Right, right. How low could you go? When the Access Hollywood tape comes out, how low could you go? We, we, and then we thought this was all going to change when he's president. It didn't change. He's a, 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 up to this, the same old tweet tricks, uh, if not worse than ever. How low could you go? Last week it was uh, Mika Brzezinski, low IQ, bleeding from her facelift. And this week it's the, now it's the CNN beat up, right? Um, yeah. with this mock CNN figure. Is there any point? Uh, can he, is there any point that low enough that well, that Republicans, particularly in Congress, are going to say, no, this is it. We can't support this guy any longer. Right. I mean, we saw we saw Republicans speaking out against the, the Mika Brzezinski Yeah, a couple tweet. of them. Yeah, a few of them. But uh, like, it, but I mean, I have to say, like, they did speak out against it. And they said, "Well, we're we're you know discouraged. This is, yeah, this is yeah. beneath the office of the presidency." But like, they said that same stuff about Barack Obama when he wore a tan suit. That this is not like on the level of the of the American presidency. So like, to put it in those same terms, I think it's a little silly. What they don't say is, we're not going to support him any right. longer. Yeah, right. And and too many get into this. What. Well, uh, <laughs> It wasn't a member of Congress, but Melania saying, well, you know, if, if you hit him, he's going to hit you back. Mm -hmm. Or Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, people knew that they were electing a fighter when they got Donald Trump. Well, I mean, these these Republicans were legitimately abandoning Trump during the Access Hollywood yeah. tape. And and and, and yet but there was back. no then then he, he won. Right. I mean, it's it's like I don't, I don't know that they know how to react to these things. You don't know which ones are going to have legs and which ones are going to fizzle out. I mean, there's controversies like this. I'm sure that we've long forgotten that might have just happened <laughs> a month ago or something. Right. You know, yeah. like I don't even. I, it's like a lifetime ago. Right. Right. So uh, you just don't know which ones are going to stick, which ones are serious, which ones are not. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, I think I think the bottom line is the frustration for them is that it's all they get asked about by reporters when they're going about their business on, on Capitol Hill. When Trump tweets about Mika Brzezinski, when Trump tweets body slamming CNN, that's what you're, when you show up for work, that's what you're going to get asked about. I know there's a level of frustration there. I think that's why you see a lot of them becoming frustrated uh, with this. But, you know, as to, uh, you know, cutting ties with, with, with the president completely over one of these things, yeah, we haven't seen that that happen yet. I don't think, I don't know that there is a benefit to Republicans doing that. And also they 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 have their own agendas that they I mean they have a small window here where they have the House the Senate and the White House they can get things done I think they they still want to take advantage of that and and cutting the president loose is not the way to do that no bingo I think that's exactly what it is I mean I do I maybe I'm being very naive I I do think that Paul Ryan is not happy with Trump's language and his his incendiary tweets and all that but. He wants to get his bill signed. Mm. Same thing with Mitch McConnell. I mean, Mitch McConnell's been around a long time. He doesn't use that kind of language. You know, he doesn't. Uh, but Mitch McConnell wants to get his tax reform bill signed. He wants to get his health care bill signed. Right. And so they'll almost, they, they really w are willing to t accept almost anything in terms of discussing personal behavior on the part of this president as because 
they know that Trump will sign basically anything he puts in front of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, right? don't that, you think? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think that. Which is, it's just, I find really offensive, but that's the way it is. I mean, I think it would have been a, it'd be a little bit different had Democrats won one of those special elections. I think it would have sent Republicans Absolutely. into a into a blind panic. Um, but but it just it, why would they why would they stop now? I mean they right. they no, they, right. they haven't lost anything that's since right. the election. No, that's right. a very good point. That would have that would have been like a maybe a warning shot across their bow. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Whoa. until there's electoral consequences, I don't I don't know that we will see them. Uh, well, those Trump. electoral consequences then not coming in the special elections will have to come in 2018. All right. Uh, so that's your business. <laughs> uh, what's your prognostication? Do, do, despite those four losing those four specials, do Democrats still have a shot at getting control of the House back in 2018? I mean, they it, need 25 seats, right? Right, right. I mean, the caveat being that every everything that we know about the polls and political prognostications have been so wildly off <laughs> yeah. this last cycle that uh, you're almost certain to wind up with, with egg on your face. What we do know is that the party in power tends to lose seats in, in a midterm election, right? I mean, I guess recent history indicates Republicans are more eager to show up in these midterm elections than Democrats. But um, certainly with the energy that we see when these Republicans, uh, you know, go home like, like they are right now and are going to face protesters. Usually or the party, in, party in power in the first in the first midterms loses 10 or 12 seats. We anyhow. should expect Democrats to pick up some seats, whether it's, it's enough to pick up the House. I mean, that would be big. Um, the Senate is, is you know, a, a coin flip uh, at this point. But I think Democratic expectations are going to be even higher than they were in, in 2016 and the disappointment possibly even greater if they can't yeah. at least pick up the House. I mean, if, if, if they can't pick up the House, I mean, it's going to it's going to just going to this um, the sort of the soul searching and the, the state of the Democratic Party being in, in disrepair. These stories are just going to, uh, I think, just grow in intensity because uh, there's every expectation among Democrats that Trump is a failing president with this historically low approval rating, and they should be able to capitalize on it. And if they can't, there's something fundamentally wrong uh, with the party. So, I mean, myself and I think most political prognosticators expect them to uh, make gains in the House, if not if not pick up the House. So it's going to be on them to recruit, recruit the right candidates and make the right investments to do that. If Democrats can't win the House back with Donald Trump in the White House... Get used to eight years of Donald Trump. Time for another party. Yeah. Uh, all right, John Easley, on that point, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your 4th of July weekend. Thanks so much for coming in today. All right. Thanks for and having me. And hello to all of our good friends over at the Hill. Yep. Have a great day, folks. We won't be here tomorrow. We'll see you on Wednesday. Fresh show.